0: You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Thanksgiving. Enjoy. One of the things we like to do here at Highway Church is de religify people. We like to, to peel back, the you, sweetie. We like to peel back the layers of the religious tradition and get to Jesus. Because he's perfect in power. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts is in our midst in the presence of the Holy Spirit. His will hasn't changed. His plan and purpose hasn't changed. When we're giving thanks by faith, we're activating the resurrection power of Christ inside of us. It's, there's really nothing nicey-nicey about it. It's power. Yes. If you understand yes. what you're doing. You. When we give thanks, we're declaring a big fat no to Satan. That's right. <laughs> a big fat no to what his plans in our life, to his attempts to derail us and get us off course and discourage yeah. us and, and, uh, and cripple us. We're giving thanks based on who God really is on what he's already accomplished for us through Christ and who we are now in him. Let's take a look at this giving thanks by faith, not by tradition, not by Hallmark greeting cards, but by Jesus faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Hey Facebook, how you doing? It's good to see you. Welcome to a brand new life. We invite you to take off your religious goggles to take out your religious earbuds and to embrace Jesus Christ. You will not find anyone who loves you more than he does, anyone who is more good than he is. There's nothing bad about him. There's no dark side to him. He is 100% USDA love, joy, peace, strength. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we've got to dereligify this word faith. To many believers, faith means wishing. It means a fond desire that something good would happen. You know, it's kind of like twinkle, twinkle, a little star. But that's not Bible faith. Faith is unshakable certainty. Bible faith. It says, now faith is being sure. You can't be uncertain and sure at the same time. That's right. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see i like that in the niv Amen. very simple being sure and certain let's look at it in the amplified now today this very moment right now you need faith now forget about heaven that's our home and it's going to be glorious but we're not there yet we need to know Christ now. We need to experience him now. We need him to flow through us now. Stop putting things off to the future. Now is the time for wholeness. Now the time for healing. Now faith is the assurance. Now it is, right? The assurance. I like that. Blessed assurance. Right? The confirmation. The title deed. Of the things we, not God, we, this is something we do in response to what He's done. We hope for being the proof. What's the proof? Our faith, our our confidence, our certainty. Being the proof of things we do not see. Amen. Come on. Yes, yes. And the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. If you don't understand this, you won't understand testimonies like Debbie and Dennis and and Raphael and Lori. Because you can be in the midst of the situation your senses are saying everything contrary to what Christ has already done for you. And if you don't understand how to stand and resist what your senses are telling you, you're going to go with them. And there's lots of routes you can go when you're faced with a challenge. Yep. Lots of routes. But the route that will set you free is simple faith in who Christ is, what he's already Amen. accomplished for you, and who you are now in him. Amen. Look at Mark 11:24. 24. We're talking about real faith. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. This is Jesus talking, the way, the truth, and the life. I go with him. Amen. And boy, you gotta make a decision to go with him because I'm telling you, there's a lot of religious tradition out there, a lot of Christian uh, tradition that is contrary to the real Jesus. Jesus. In fact, a friend of mine talked to on the phone maybe a few weeks ago, and they were they're in another part of the country, and they went into a very large church. They were very excited. They said, this place is like the size of five Walmarts, you know. And they were sitting there excited, ready to hear the word. And the first thing out of the pastor's mouth in this large congregation, he said, you know, I'm, I'm very saddened by the tragedy that's happened in Texas. This is when the, the shooter walked into a, a church in Texas and shot so many people. And he said, you know, God takes us in his own way, in his own time. Let's think about that just for a moment before we read this. There is a very common thinking in the body of Christ, unfortunately, that God causes, or if they won't say cause, allows bad things to happen. That's not true. He's not causing, nor is he allowing, bad things to happen. God is not in control of the earth. We're living in a fallen world, and Satan is the god of this world. But you can have victory over him through Christ. Amen. You can always triumph through a, a fellowship, a relationship, a faith in Christ. So what this, this minister, who was who very well trained and very educated in the Bible, and, and, and biblical studies and probably exegesis and hermeneutics. What he's saying, literally, if you'll just be logical, he's saying God walks into churches and shoots people. Yeah, really. Let's praise him. That sounds crazy, but that's literally what's being... That's, if you're not saying literal, figuratively, however you want to... What's underneath this idea that God took those people by sending a shooter into that church is some kind of goofy, twisted, perverted concept of God. Yes, and many believers are living that way, thinking that God took their child, God brought that disease upon them, God brought that tornado and that tsunami. How can you have faith in a God that does these things? You can't. As if he does that now, if he took those people by sending a shooter in, so how can we be sure and certain of him? If he heals one person but not another, well, then what hope do I have? Am I that person? How do I know? Well, I did 23 right things in the last six months. Does that get me there? No. You've got to know who he is. So this person just stood up and said, well, I'm going to find another church. And on her way out, she talked to one of the deacons and he basically said the same thing. Well, you know, God takes us in his own way in his own time. And that's just an ignorant concept of God. It's not based on the person of Jesus, the person of Christ revealed to us in the Gospels and Acts. It's based on an ignorance of why things happen and trying to explain it with some theology to try and make us feel better. But it doesn't work. Jesus said, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So you're believing it when? After you see it? When you're praying. You're believing that you've got it. How would you feel if you just won a contest and the prize was tax-free, $25 million? Would you feel good? How would you feel if you'd just been given a job offer that was beyond your greatest dreams? You'd feel good. This is what faith does. It changes the way you feel because you know that God has done what he said he's done in his word, and you're not waiting to see it. You're not waiting for your senses to tell you that it's so, but you know it in your spirit because he said it, and it changes the way you feel. We watched the Santa Claus movie uh, over the holidays with Tim Allen. Have you guys seen that? Funny, funny movie. But one, there there's a point in there, and Tim Allen's kind of freaking out. He doesn't believe in what's going on. And one of the elves says to him, she says something very important, and uh, it's a fictional movie, but this principle is very true. She said to Tim Allen, because he just became Santa Claus, and he, he didn't believe what he was seeing. He said, seeing, is she said to him, seeing is now, I remember it was a he elf. I forget said, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. If you don't get that, you will not experience the abundant life Christ came to give you. If you're waiting to, for your five senses to tell you what he's done for you, forget it. You've got to tell your five senses what he's done for you Amen. and tell them to get in line with the revealed word of God. Yes, yes. So faith Giving thanks by faith in who Christ is, it's an act of resistance to darkness. True Bible thanksgiving is the penicillin for depression. It's a penicillin for sickness. Choosing to be thankful because his word is true in your life. Because his promises are yes and amen in your life. I remember talking with someone not too long ago, and they're talking about, they just said, you know, I just feel like my faith is so weak. And there's a reason we feel like that. Because we put our confidence in ourselves. We're looking at our shortcomings. We're looking at where we don't measure up. We're thinking, oh, how could I have thought those thoughts? How could I have said those things? Why didn't I do what I was supposed to do? And that will cause you just to go down. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The confidence, the faith comes when you begin meditating not on yourself, but on the promises of God. In uh, 1 Peter or 2 Peter, which one is it? 1, chapter 1, where it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Right? And, and then he goes on to say that's through his precious and magnificent promises that we become partakers of his nature. So if you feel like, you know what, my faith is weak or I, I just, I can never think that way, I can never be sure and certain, begin to search the scriptures for the promises of God. Because the promises reveal to us who he really is, what he's already accomplished for us, and who we are now in him. And I, I laughed, uh, Uh, we were at a conference up in new hampshire one of the ministers was sharing the word and he said i didn't get so chubby uh just by not eating he said you know i i got this chubby because i eat and eat and eat and i eat more than my body needs and his point was this if you'll just eat the promises of god you won't have to pray about it you'll just become what you're eating And too many people are trying to have faith in difficult situations, but they haven't eaten. Or they'll grab a promise in the midst of the storm, and they're trying to eat that, but they're malnourished. I'm talking about the promises of God. So begin to eat His promise. Make that a priority of your life. That you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases. And with the stripes that wounded him, you have been healed. Don't wait for a challenge to come to start to do this. Do it now. Because the benefit of the promises is... More than just experiencing them, it's the intimacy that you experience in your relationship with Christ when his word becomes more real to you than your circumstances. Okay? So this confidence comes from meditating upon his promises. Meditating upon who he is. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For no matter how many promises... I've never counted the promises in the Bible, but I know there's a whole bunch. Because I've got pages and documents on my phone of ones that i put in my heart over the years. Yeah, I don't know, it must be hundreds of pages of promises that I've meditated on over the years. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And I like to do it in multiple translations too. And so through him, the amen, that's the so be it, it's done. Now. It's already done. Is spoken by us to the glory of God. So God gets glory when his promises are manifest in our lives. But that doesn't happen automatically. We have to consciously choose to eat his promises regularly. And then declare them, right? We're the ones who say amen. That means, God, I declare that I am your righteousness because you made your son sin for me. I declare that I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus in the midst of of an ungodly thought. In the midst of whatever temptation or circumstance, I open my mouth and I'm saying it to myself, not to the people around me. I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I do the things Jesus did and greater things than these. I abide in him and his word abides in me and whatever I wish is done because that's his promise to me. But this doesn't make any sense if you're not eating the promises. It seems kind of like some kind of uh, new doctrine or maybe some kind of uh, uh, new age thinking. Or, uh, but this is basic Jesus. This is fundamental Jesus, okay? So every promise that God has made, and boy, there's a bunch of them, and many in the Old Testament, some of them in the context of which they were spoken were directly to Israel, but through Christ, they're to us now. Because we've been grafted in. So giving thanks, feeding on the promises, declaring them by faith in your life, it activates this resurrection power inside of us. And it gives God the right of way to move in our lives. Because we can limit him by the things we believe and speak. You can actually hinder God from moving in your life by what you believe and speak and what you're relying on. I'm amazed by the commercials for prescription drugs. Never before have we seen it. And, and then they'll put, and they'll, they'll, they'll record someone listing all the negative side effects and they'll speed it up so it's really fast. That's not the answer. What does Proverbs 4 20 through 23 say? Right? Your word is life. The medicine in the Hebrew, the cure, the remedy to who? Everybody? To those who attend to them, those who find them. Wow. Man is looking for an answer in the natural, and they're never going to find it. They're never going to find it. Because once this thing has subsided, something else comes up. Then you gotta find something else, then something, and then you've got to change this, you gotta do this. Jesus completely bore the curse of sin. This is these are promises. So look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Thanksgiving. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, right? Now, I, this is the King James. This is interesting. He says, now thanks be unto God. Some translations say who there. But the word in the Greek is translated more commonly as which. Which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Now obviously God is the one who brings about our victory. But I want you to look at it this way. Giving thanks by faith causes the victory to manifest in your life. But thanks be to God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And I'm telling you, this is sometimes seems to be the the most challenging thing you could ever do. To to begin to worship and thank him. Because sometimes it's the last thing you feel like doing. It seems like everything is shouting and coming against you, but you you rise up in your spirit, man, and you begin to declare the wonders of the Lord. Not that they're gonna be true in heaven someday, but that they are your reality now. This gives God the right of way for His knowledge to be manifest, His person, His nature, in our lives. And boy, do we see this? Let's go to Second Chronicles. this is so good, and we're not going to, for time's sake, we're just going to kind of take a look at it. In Second Chronicles 20, now, is this in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Oh, so this is before the resurrection of Christ. This is before the new covenant that was ratified by the blood of Jesus. But there's much to be learned in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 20. <clears throat> the children of Moab and uh, Ammon uh, come against Jehoshaphat. Yeah. And he's afraid. Let's see. Yeah, multitude coming from them. And he's afraid and he turns to the Lord to seek him and to ask for his help. We're just going to skim down here for time's sake. Let's see. Behold, I say, verse 11. Uh, Verse 12, he says, Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. It's a great day when you realize you can't do this. I can't fix my life. And I know there's a, a common American pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps, and that's good, but that can get in the way of what God wants to do in your life because you can't pick yourself up by your bootstrap. It's only by his grace that you can inhale and exhale. Yes. So all the glory goes to him. Yes. Amen. So he realized, you know, we can't, we can't win this. We don't have what it takes to win, but through Christ we do, right? Right? In this battle we're fighting, you don't have what it takes. I don't either. We're wrestling against spiritual forces of darkness that make the, you know, the worst human being look like a, you know, a, a romper room child's toy. We need the power of Christ to overcome. And it's for us and it's in us. So uh, let's see. Hearken ye. What happens here? Uh, Je- Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah in first, verse 14 he comes, the Spirit of the Lord speaks through him, and he says, hearken all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So they're outnumbered uh, physically, they're outnumbered in resources, but God says the battle's not yours, it's mine. And he says, tomorrow, go out and face them. Verse 17 he says, "You do not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand on my promises, right? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. This is one reason that many don't experience the salvation of the Lord in their situations because they're trying to make it happen. I've got to pray more. I've got to do more. I've got to do no. Just stand still and believe. Yes. Declare who He is. let him do it in you. This is not our great faith, it's not our great efforts, it's not our great performance, it's the great work of Christ that's already been done. The battle is not yours but God's, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Uh, O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, verse 17, nor be dismayed, tomorrow go out against them for the Lord will be or is, some translations say, with you. And they bowed down to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord and worshiped him. Right? Victory. They just received victory. Not a stone had been thrown. Not an arrow had flown. Right? No, no physical fight had taken place yet, but they had the victory. What did Jesus say in Mark 11:24. 24? When you pray, believe that you have received it and you shall have it. So I'm praying and I'm believing that I've already got it, haven't seen it, haven't felt it, haven't heard it, but I believe I've got it and I know I'm going to see it. Right? That's what happened here. The word of the Lord came, they received it, and the only response when you really receive it is worship. You just begin to worship him thank you lord you've done it and i give you praise you're faithful to your word you don't change you're the same yesterday today and forever the same jesus that made the lame walk and the maimed whole is living in me thank you lord so what ends up happening so they they begin training right they 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 go through several weeks of training and in high weaponry and and advanced military tactics no they worship the lord They keep worshiping Him. And the priest stands up and praises God with a loud voice, verse 19, on high. Thank you, Lord! Glory to your name! Is that offensive to you? If it is, it's because you haven't done it in your own life. When you've done this in your closet when no one else is around, it's just the way you live. If church is too loud for you, you need to start praising Him in your own life. Shouting should be a, a natural response to the fulfillment of his promises in your life. So in a loud voice, this priest stood up. wasn't appropriate, maybe in terms of the etiquette of the day, but he didn't care. They had the victory. They're faced with a life-threatening situation, and God said, I'm going to deliver you. The battle's not yours, so what do you do? You shout about it. Verse 20, he says, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Be sure, be certain, perceive as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. You've got the victory now, today. And this is my favorite verse, verse 21. See, you live differently when you're sure of what he's done for you. Other people are stressing and trying to figure out how is this going to happen. Well, you need to get this, and you need to do that. And it's amazing all the, 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 the counsel I got when we started this church. People telling you what you need to do and what you need to do, and you need to do this. And, 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 you know, and I appreciate that, and we need advice and counsel. But more than anything, I need to hear from the Lord. Amen. Amen. We're not trying to build another church. We're not trying to follow another template. We're not concerned about our, our uh, making ends meet. We're following the Lord, Amen. and he will provide, yes. and he has, yes. and he continues to do so, yes. and you know what this upcoming year is? I ask the Lord each year, Lord, what, do you, what is your theme for the year? Are you ready? Yes. 2018, year of too much. Yes. That's what it is. That's the word for us, and boy, there's a scripture in Isaiah, uh, I'd love to go into it, we don't have time now, but in Isaiah chapter uh, 10, verse 27, or you could say it this way, the year of fatness. It says the yoke will be destroyed because of fatness or the anointing. And when I read that verse, I think of some cattle I saw when I was in Belgium. You talk about fatness, we're not talking about soft, and we're talking about strong and glistening with oil. I saw these cattle in Belgium when I was there and I looked out in the, in the pasture they were in and the I don't know what breed they were but they were stacked. They were just their muscles were bulging and they were glistening in the sun. I thought I've never seen cattle like this before. Black, deep rich black, glistening, healthy. That's our year 2018. Richness too much. So verse 21, I love this. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. That should praise the beauty. This would work today in battle if the leaders have a revelation of what God has done. This would work today. And that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say they're opening up their own mouths, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And look what happened when they began to sing and to praise. I hope you sing and praise in your time alone with Jesus. I hope you have a private place you go regularly and sing and praise him because what we do on Sunday here is nice, but boy, I tell you, when you get alone with him and sing and praise him, things change. The Lord, so there, I just like to picture what's really happening here. There are nations coming against them. Two kings in their armies. The two? I forget. And there they are going into a battle. This makes no sense, naturally speaking. They would be looked at as foolish, uh, idiotic, gonna get clobbered. But they're walking straight towards danger, singing and praising the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. And when they do, what did they do? They opened the door for God to move like he wanted to move all along in their lives. But if they would not have done this, if they would not have received his word and began to declare it with his mouth, he couldn't have done it. You look through the scripture and see how many times the Lord speaks of how they limited him. That's right. And Jesus himself in his own ministry in his home country. How they limited him because of their unbelief. Right. When they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord, excuse me, the Lord, verse 22, set ambushes against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah. And they were smitten, completely defeated, and God's people didn't fire a shot. None escaped, it says the end of verse 24. This is the life God's called us to. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil in verse 25, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead. God, you're too much. And people get mad when you talk about, uh, was it Lori or who said the Lord wants us to be wealthy? Man, that's fighting ground in theological circles. How can you say that? Being poor is humble, right? You were to be humble. I don't know, well, I do know where that thinking came from, but it's not from Jesus. Poverty and humility don't go together. I've known people who are very poor and very arrogant, I've known people who are very wealthy and very humble. Humble is knowing who Christ is. Realizing that apart from him we can do nothing, but with him we can do, apart from him we can do nothing, but with him we can do all things. God wants you wealthy. He could have just defeated them and left it at that, right? Jesus could have just fed the five thousand. But that's not God's way. Abundance of both riches and precious jewels, bling. I mean, is he over the top or what? They're just, they just want their lives to be saved. They're afraid they're going to get slaughtered. But God's thinking bling. Am I making this up? That's a contemporary term for precious jewels. Do so you want to uh, be scriptural? Is, is this not true? Did God not do this? Was this what they were after? No. Whose idea was it for them to prosper? God's in his heart precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves and God didn't say whoa whoa stop guys whoa wait a minute you're not being humble no this is for you Christ became poor that we might be rich is that in the Bible or did I just make that up where's that at in the Bible Corinthians was it it first Corinthians 9 verse 8 or 8 verse 9 I don't know somewhere in there Precious jewels bling more than they could carry away. Too much. They were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. End of verse 27 says, For the Lord made them to rejoice over their enemies. This is what God wants to do in our lives. This is thanksgiving. And, you know, we see this in Jesus' ministry. And we'll look at these two, and then we're going to be done. Wow. And I want to, you guys, I don't know, if how many people here remember Rosie who came to church? She moved to Michigan now. I don't know if you guys remember. She's. But I want to read a little excerpt from a book that she's about to put out. Uh, She was a writer for the L.A. Times, and somewhere in there she got saved, and all kinds of things happened. I want to look at the ministry of Jesus, then we'll read a little excerpt from Rosie's book. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to give thanks and share your testimonies. The ministry of Jesus. Jesus, he knew what faith is. He, he, he didn't allow himself to become religified. And as a result, the experts, the doctors, the educated ones in the scriptures, many of them uh, were repulsed by Jesus. So in John chapter 6, verse 5, uh, let's see what's going on here. Well, let's skip ahead. Okay, there's a multitude coming towards Jesus. He's been ministering. And and Philip uh, says to him, well, Jesus wants to feed the multitude. And Philip says to him, where should we buy bread that these may eat? Okay? Jesus says this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. So see, this is the kind of testing God does, not sickness and disease. That's not God. God doesn't test people that way. The testing he does is he'll, he'll ask you a question because he wants to uh, get you to, to um, meditate upon his promises, to meditate upon his limitless power in life. That's a kind of test. The test is, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done for you? Do you know who you are in me? That's the kind of testing he does. So he asks Philip this question, and he says to him, uh, 200 denarii, that's about 200 days wages. That's in verse 7. Worth of bread is not sufficient to feed this crowd, that every one of them would even have a little. Do so we, got, we got John 6, 7 up there, guys? John 6, 7. And then uh, let's go on to verse 8. So one of his disciples, Andrew C, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lot here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Now, Jesus, he's got what? Five loaves of bread, right? Two small fish from Hannaford's, right? <laughs> and he makes the people sit down. What's he doing? He already sees it. Yeah, that's right. Faith perceiving as reality, right? What is not revealed to the senses. Make them sit down. Verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and here's a little verse that people will fly right over. And when he had given thanks. Don't ask God to bless your food before you eat. That's a religious tradition. Learn the promises of God and realize he's already blessed it and give thanks for it. Amazing the things that people have heard other Christians do, they'll bow their head and thank you, Lord, and we pray this food be blessed for the nourishment of our bodies. Wait a minute. Haven't you read the promises? Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you. Where's that at? Exodus. Exodus. See, when you know the promises, you pray differently. See, you know what we do. We give thanks before we say, Father, thank you that your blessing is upon our food and our drink. That you've taken away sickness from among us. That we're strong in you and in your mighty power. That rivers of living water are flowing from our spirits into every system of our bodies. You pray differently. Tradition goes out the door and Jesus comes in. Not trying to offend anyone. It's time to get real with Jesus. It's time to know what he's already done for you. And don't pray because great uncle so-and-so prayed this way. Pray because Jesus said it and did it. So he gave thanks. What did he give thanks for? That God meets all of his needs. That the Lord is his shepherd and his provider. That God is providing food for these thousands and thousands of people. That God is going to take these loaves and fish and multiply them and have too much left over. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. The existing supply, the five loaves and two fishes that they had, were multiplied. God's provision was revealed through Jesus giving thanks. God's provision for your life will be revealed as you give thanks by faith. God's provision for your relationships, for your marriage, for your finances, for your employment, for your emotional health, for your physical health, will be revealed to you as you give him thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, the Bible was written by men, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God, right? The Holy Spirit refers to this instance in John 6.23. Look, look how the Holy Spirit inspired John to write here. We have that one. It says, however, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Yes. That's what's in God's mind. Not how much was provided, but that he gave thanks. That's what stands out to him. He put his faith in me. He knew how good I was. He knew I was his provision. So the Holy Spirit calls this event to mind as giving thanks. Isn't that something? Another example in John 11, right? Jesus is faced with one of his friends, close friends, who's not only sick, he's not only died, he's been in the tomb for four days. Listen, We've gone through some tough things, but it can't get much worse than that, right? It's not like, you, you know, you, you, you're sick, you're, you lost your job, or whatever. I mean, you're dead, and you're in the tomb. Four days. Listen to me, thanksgiving, Bible faith thanksgiving raises the dead. Amen. Amen. Chapter 11, verse 41 Martha and Mary have already come to Jesus, and he's trying to get across to them that they're going to see the glory of God if they'll just put their faith in him. But they've, they're still a little religified, and they say, well, we, we know in the last days he's going to rise again. No, I am. I am the resurrection. Life. I'm now. Stop putting me off to someday maybe. Oh, now I'm the resurrection. Now I'm the life. Take away the stone. And what does he do when he takes, when he does, they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. We have it up there, yeah. Look what Jesus does again. He lifts up his eyes. What's he do? Father, I thank you. This is thanksgiving. What? That, 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 That somehow you're teaching us something through this tragedy, that you take people in their own way at their own time. You'll never catch Jesus saying that because he knows the heart of his father. I thank you. You've heard me. This is verse 24 in Mark 11. When you pray, believe that you've received it and you'll have it. Thank you that you've heard me. Hallelujah. Lazarus, come out. And you know what happened. Now, let's finish this up. You guys can come up here and share. So this thanksgiving by faith it's an active resistance of darkness. It's a refusal to live life in any other way but through Jesus. It's a refusal to accept any other quality of life than the abundant life Christ came to give us. It gives God the right of way to move in our lives, and it transforms us. Let me tell you about Rosie. We, we, before, when we first started in 2014, we were in the movie theater in Regal Cinemas in the Galleria Plaza. And, and one day a lady came in and started talking, with her. her name was Rosie, and she just started sharing her testimony, and how she had worked for the LA Times, and done a number of different things, and now she was on the East Coast, and, and she started sharing a testimony that she had, and she started reading the Bible and hearing, I believe it was Kenneth Copeland preach. And she had this problem with her jaw, the bone was just eating away in her jaw, she just had holes in her I think it was on the right side of her face. And I don't remember all the details. But she had gone to the the specialists and and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do because her jaw was rotting away. And she started hearing messages like you're hearing now, started reading the promises of God, and she called Kenneth Copeland Ministries and asked for prayer. And someone prayed for her and, 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 and taught her what you're learning, to believe that you have received it before you see it. And I don't remember exactly the timeline on this but so she prayed and she she received it and i don't know that she felt anything it was my recollection she didn't but she knew things something had changed she was beginning to understand how faith really works and she ended up going back to the doctor And I think she had mentioned he was a Jewish man and he came back in after taking new x-rays of her jaw and she said his face was pale white when he walked back in because this is the same doctor she went to before who had the previous x-rays. And he put them up and he was just in shock. He said, I don't understand it. Your jaw is whole. I don't understand it. These are the x-rays we took before. This was your jaw and this is your jaw now. So Rosie started learning more about this, and she ended up writing a book that's just coming out on Amazon called Turn on Hope Street. (laughs) And uh, in the introduction of the book, Rosie talks about how she started on her journey back in 2008. She was interviewing some neuroscientists, and one by the name of Eric Condal, a Nobel laureate who had done a lot of research among uh, the brain cells and memory storage in the brain cells. Are we doing okay? Can I share this with you? we'll give you some testimonies? So this, this Nobel laureate uh, neuroscientist began to explain to Rosie, and I don't think she was expecting this, he began to explain to her that repeated thoughts, words, and behaviors related to hope, love, and happiness can change the structure and function of the brain. This is this neuroscientist talking. I remember her sharing this with me. It was really fun to listen to her tell it. In the same way, the brain structure and function can be changed by fear, stress, and anxiety. This is what she writes. Did I hear right? (laughs) She said neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to form new cells, to reorganize its connections, she says was coming into public awareness back in the 2000s at that time. She said, so I rephrased my question. She just was kind of like, well, did I just hear this right? Same answer, different wording. Again, I wanted to confirm my understanding. By the fourth time, she asked four different questions, trying to make sure she heard him right. He, this Kondel, I'm not sure how to say his name, condell was laughing. When I got off the phone, I was dancing, she said. <laughs> She said, "Neuroplasticity, or realizing this truth that the brain can be changed by your thoughts and your speech, explained a lot in her life. For one thing, it meant that prayer could actually physically change the brain. I was thrilled. This news gave me hope. And then one, uh, one other uh, psychiatrist, Jose Pardo, who uh, in uh, doing research in neuroimaging." Said that believing in a positive outcome improves the, nor- the neural circuits in our brains, those that may otherwise worsen as we age. Optimism plays a role in self care and management of chronic illnesses. Having a positive emotional uh, outlook has been shown to, to um, improve resistance to colds and viruses. What are we talking about? Thanksgiving. It changes your brain. It changes your physical body. See, if man ever catches up with the Word of God, they're going to find the simple solution God has. Believe in your heart and speak with your mouth. Believe in your heart and speak with your mouth. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow